0: All right, Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we've been uh, exploring um, this incredible, amazing uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's an incredibly practical book. And I hope what you see today, um, for some of you, if you've, you've read the scriptures a lot, it'll sound familiar. It'll sound like many other places, like Colossians and Galatians have similar things. But there's some key points in here that are absolutely incredible. And um, so before we, we dive in, let me just, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. And then let's explore this passage of scripture together. The promise of your word, Father, is that what you speak never returns void. You have promised that when your word goes out, it accomplishes things. It brings transformation. It shines light unto the darkness. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would speak, that you would push away the distractions that um, tend to confuse us, or that you would uh, stir our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal hidden things within us, not so that we recognize afresh the depth of of our failures, but so that we can turn that over to you and recognize the greatness of your victory because you are making all things new, beginning with those who placed your trust in you. Well, that's the promise of your word. So, Lord, this chapter begins with the challenge for us to be imitators of you, to walk like Jesus, there are so many ways that we can't be like you because you are so much higher than us. You have called us to be like you in our character, in our attitude, in our actions, to reflect who Jesus is and the work he has called us to do. So, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Make us receptive, Lord, to what you want to say. We pray these things. In Jesus' great and mighty name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then there's a contrast here I want you to, to see. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These sins are so serious that that God wants us to recognize that they're they're broadcasting a message that is totally contrary to what He's done within us. Our behavior, our, our attitudes, our actions should change, and there shouldn't be any hint of these in our life. And then it comes back, Um, after challenging us, because these things are in the exact opposite of being imitators of God and walking like Jesus, it comes back to how we talk with one another and to others. The words that we say reflect our hearts. And, And it says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Now, in this passage, um, Paul, as he's teaching the church, lists several things that are great dangers to us as followers of Jesus. They're dangers to us not in that we would lose our salvation, but we would lose our intimacy, or they could be an indicator that we don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And so, he's saying that Immorality is something that shouldn't be a part of us, and that means any kind of sexual sin or a lustful attitude. That shouldn't be a part of who we are. Impurity is anything that does not reflect the character of God. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's impure. Sometimes um, what we tend to do is we measure ourselves against one another, and therefore, it's easy for me to say, well, I'm a little more pure than this person that I see on the street or a random person that I see in the media because they've been caught in some act or some crime. But the comparison here isn't to one another. It's to Jesus. Purity of who he is. Covetousness, which is idolatry, which simply means wanting what God has given to others and being ungrateful for what he has already given to us. And then he talks about our language, the use of the tongue, when it's, when it's crude and divisive or deceitful, that it doesn't reflect the message and truth of the gospel. We're to put off all these things. None of these should be a part of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, why does God care about that so much? It's not like God is waiting for us to mess up. Sometimes that's the idea that we get in our mind. It is not him waiting to point a finger at you or at me when we fail. It is a call to come into greater intimacy. And ultimately what it is, is a recognition of our identity. I want to show you something very, very important. The key to understanding this passage of Scripture is verse 8. So I want you to look at what it says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't say that we were in darkness. It says that we were darkness. But the contrast is true. It doesn't say now you're in the light because Jesus has shined on you. He says that we are children of light, that that is our new identity, our new character. And that's incredibly important because what happens is when you and I wrestle with sin, and all of us do that, starting with me, what we try to do is we try to clean ourselves up so that we can then go back to God. We feel grieved in our spirit. The Holy Spirit is letting us know that there's, a, there's a, um, a separation between us. There's something between us that's not allowing that fellowship and the flow of his life in us and through us. And so we're grieved. And what we try to do is we revert back to our old nature, which is darkness, and we try to clean it up. Um, I forgot my... Prop, but that's all right. It'll work just fine. I'll just, I'll use it. Have you ever tried to sweep up a shadow? I know that seems really stupid, doesn't it? But think about it. What we try to do when it comes to our sin is we. It's like sh- sweeping up a shadow. There's a shadow in our life that that we see it there plainly, and we're taking that broom of our own effort, of our own ability, and we're doing our best to sweep it up, but it never goes anywhere. That's what happens in our life when there, are, when there are sin habits that we wrestle with, and we try to do better. We make a commitment. We cry out to the Lord, I won't do it again, or, or to another person, I won't do it again, but we're trying to do it in our own strength. He says, you were darkness. That's who you were, but that is no longer who you are. You can't sweep up a shadow, but there is an incredibly easy way to get rid of the darkness. Do you know what it is? Anybody? Always the right answer. Absolutely, Jesus always is the right answer. Yes, but not just Jesus, but turn on the light of Jesus. Allow his light to shine within us. The thing that overcomes darkness is light. And so what we've got to do is simply remember who we are in him. The way to chase the shadows out of your life and out of my life is not trying harder, not feeling guilty and beating ourselves up, but remembering who we are in Christ. That's what he's saying. When he says, you were darkness, but now, you need to circle that, but now, because this is your identity. This is who you are in Christ. You aren't those things. That list of sins, we may have committed them, but it is not who we are. Therefore, they don't have to have control over you and me. Who we are is children of light, that we are made to shine. And so what we do instead of, of trying to sweep up a shadow, instead we simply remember who we are in Christ and say, Lord, forgive me for going back to the shadow, for going back to the darkness. I forgot who I was in you, But you have reminded me that I am your child and that my life is already filled with your presence. Therefore, I choose to return to you. Make me shine with the light and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us to do here. Remember who you are. You are light. Walk in him. In essence, what you and I are are lamps that shine for the love and truth of Jesus Christ. He is the light that shines through us. And here's what it says. Here's the character that is contrast when we live as children of light. The next part of verse 9 says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of, those, of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's true for the victory in our life as well. Shining the light of Christ's love, of Christ's truth upon it. Sharing with one another bringing it into the light. That's why we're encouraged to confess our sins to one another, to confess our struggles, because we need each other to build us up and to remind us who we are, that you're not your failures. You're not your sin. You're no longer darkness. That's who we were. We are now children of light in Christ. But when anything, verse 13, is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And then he goes on and he gives a very interesting quotation from the Old Testament. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's the message that he's reminding us of. Maybe you and I have been sleeping. We've been slumbering because we've, in a sense, forgotten truly who we are. And that old nature, that darkness, has crept back into our soul, and the shadow is over our life, and it's robbing us of joy and of relationship. And he says, wake up and remember who you are, and the light of Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, let's take this and, and look at it a little bit more in depth. And we looked at this some last week, and so I'm going to pick up where we, where we were last week for just a moment and then move forward. The first thing is, to walk as light, we must choose to exit the shadows, I've got to to step out of the darkness and remember that is not who I am anymore. Therefore, it shouldn't have control over me. My sinful nature, I need to step out of that and into the light, not to rehabilitate it, but to remember that Jesus Christ has already proven victory. And so I need to remember who I am and step out of the shadows That's why last week I I asked you this question, two different contrasts. Are you a law-abiding citizen or a light-abiding citizen? The law contains evil. That's why God gave it to us, is to put restraints and to not allow sin to take us so far that it destroys culture and society and lives to the point that there is no hope. But law can only contain evil. Light exposes and conquers it. And so what he's calling us to do is to live as light, to walk in his light as Jesus is. And what he told us in those first um, verses um, is that light requires a pure life. And we need the Lord to show us those shadows, and that's painful I don't like seeing the shadows in me. But I need to see them so that I can turn them back over to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. That is not who I am and it's not who you saved me to be. Forgive me. What are the shadows you struggle with? Ask the Lord to show you those so that he can lift the shadow and shine his light into you. Walking as light first requires a pure life, but secondly... It requires thankful lips. The cure for shadows of the things that we say is thanksgiving. When we struggle with our words, when we, when we say hard, harmful things or crude things that it talks about here or deceitful things, there's a cure to our language, and that's thanksgiving. I want you to think about this because this really applies to, to us as an international church. Did you realize, well, first off, let me start here. How many of you are at least bilingual? Notice my hands are not up. All right? Very, you know, we're, we're a little unusual than an average church in many of our nations. Many of you are not only bilingual, but tri or quad or five or you know, 12. I mean, you, you speak a lot of different languages. Here's the thing: every follower of Jesus Christ is at least bilingual spiritually. You have two languages within you that you already know. The first one is your old nature. And it just comes out by itself. But we've been given a new language, the language of Christ that is, comes out in thanksgiving, in gratitude, in encouragement, in building one another up. And so the way to change that is to choose to look for ways to be thankful and to express our thanksgiving. That's why he puts it here in contrast to those deceitful words, to those coarse words. The way to overcome that is to choose to speak a different language. Just, just as different as, you know, if you fall, your, if you're, you know, you have to focus when you're learning a new language, you have to focus in order to be able to speak that new language and not fall into the language that is your heart language. The same thing is true spiritually. We have, we have to focus and say, Lord, I, I want to speak the language of heaven, the language of praise, of thanksgiving, of encouragement, of blessing, and of love. Help me to speak your language. Well, the next part in walking as light not only affects how we speak, but it requires a discerning mind. Last week I told you about a study that reveals how um, television and other screen-based information impacts our thoughts. And according to the study, the experiments that were conducted by Herbert Krugman reveal that when we watch Television, brain activity, swe- switches from the left to the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere is the seat of logical thought where information is broken down into its component parts and can be critically analyzed, and we can see whether or not it's true. But when we're taking in just information from, from the right side, we tend to treat it as wholes, and it's, it's more emotional than it is logical in our responses, And so we need to think about the information that we're taking in and discern, is it true? And the way to discern, is it true, is how does it measure against God's word? That is so important for us to examine that because that will help condition our thought life, our position. It will condition how we treat others and how we um, carry out what God has called us to do. Also, Walking in the light not only requires discernment, for us to examine things based on God's Word, but it requires a desire to please God above all things. We are to discern what the will of the Lord is. We're to desire to please Him above all things. Frequently, I find that I have to ask myself these tough questions. When I'm going through a hard time, when I'm wrestling with something, These questions have to come into my mind. Who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please myself? Chances are very, very high that what I'm focused on is sinful. If it's just about me, it's wrong. In fact, the scripture says whatever is not of faith is sin. So if I'm trying to please myself, then I'm in the wrong. Secondly, if I'm trying to please others or just please others, there's a good chance that I may be doing something that is wrong. I may be trying to impress them. I may be trying to get my own recognition or build up my own pride, and that's wrong. Now, I can be doing things to please others in that the Lord is working, the Lord is speaking in a way saying, build them up. That's different, and I need to examine that. But ultimately, the question I want to ask myself is, am I seeking to truly please the Lord? What would He want? How would He respond? How would the Lord want me to answer? I want you to listen to this promise from the Word. It is incredibly important. Psalm 37, verses 4 through 6, says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this isn't a verse that you can take and you can kind of rearrange it and recreate it and say, if I just ask enough times, God will give me what I want. That is not what it's saying. Okay, so don't, don't do, go through mental gymnastics to try to make it say something different. It says, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when He becomes the deepest desire of our hearts, He gives us desires that will lead to ultimate joy, that will lead to fulfillment. And so the secret is delighting in him. But it goes on. It doesn't just say um, delight in him. It then gives us some more practical ways to apply that. It says in verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Do you see a theme that now ties back into what we're talking about in Ephesians where we're told to walk as children of light. He's saying when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will shine through us. Others will see Jesus in you and through you. And at the same time, the light of his presence brings us incredible joy and the desires of our heart are fulfilled. It is a win, win, win when we delight ourselves in the Lord. How amazing. That's why what he's calling us to is a greater sense of intimacy with him. Purity, thanksgiving, discernment, and a desire to please God above all else enables us to step out of the shadows and shine the light of Christ in a dark world. Well, the quotation here in this passage where it says, Awake, O sleeper arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you, comes from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen as well. But I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, and see where this verse comes from. He says this, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and the nations shall come to your light. God is writing this promise to his people, to us collectively. When we choose to arise and say, Lord, I want the light of Christ to shine on me and through me, the promise is he will bring the nations to that light that it will defeat the darkness. The way to see transformation and change in our world is for us to shine. God made you and I to shine forth his light. Jesus said we are the light of the world because he shines through us. We are the lamps that pour forth the light of his love, of his truth, of his grace, of his power, of his goodness. Light is one of the key themes in scripture. God uses it both literally and figuratively to express a great deal about himself and about his plan for humanity. But light is one of those things that we have a tendency to take for granted. How many of you expected the sun to come up this morning? I I did. How many of you, when you you walked into the bathroom, you hit that switch, you expected the light to come on, right? Yeah. Especially if you get up in the middle of the night, you really expect that light to, to come on, right? Um, we have an expectation about light, and so we have a tendency to take it for granted. It surrounds us, and therefore, we tend to overlook the true nature of light. Light itself illuminates from God's glory. Do you know that the first thing, according to the Scripture, the very first thing God created was light? In Genesis, he says, he says, let there be light, and light happened. Do you realize, according to the account, however, that there was no lamp when that happened? And, and I'm, uh, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you believe in a young earth or an old earth or whatever your creation understanding is, what, what is described in the scripture is separating, it's distinguishing between a light and the lamp. Because in the account in in Genesis, God doesn't create the sun, which we associate with light, until day four. Light is already created before a lamp. And when we go to Revelation and we look in Revelation chapter 20, it says that in the New Jerusalem there is no need for a sun or moon because Jesus Christ himself lights the city. Light does not require a lamp because light is a reflection of the glory of God. These lights, though they're electricity, ultimately remind us of the purity, of the holiness, of the power of God. He spoke it into creation. Yes, an electrician wired it, connected it to a power grid, and we flip the switch and it turns on, but it's still pouring forth the truth that God created light and it points to who he is. That's why light is such a powerful image. He says, not only um, did he create light, but he is the source of light. It radiates from God himself. We are to be a reflection of his light. And and so, therefore, when it talks about light, it's always pointing to God. Even when it it says, when Jesus says both in um, Luke and in Matthew that we are the light of the world, it is pointing to him. It's saying you're the light of the world, that you live in such a way that others see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Light, even the light that we shine, should always point to the Lord. That's why it requires us to be authentic, to be real, to be pure, because we want to be an accurate reflection of the Lord. Jesus said in Luke, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted And when the light, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. That's what God desires to do in and through you and I. He wants to light up every portion of who you are, to be filled with his presence, with his joy, with his Holy Spirit. That's what he's calling us to do. So how do we do that? Well, I think there's some application points here in this passage that will help us. To walk as light, first of all, we have to exercise wisdom. It's a daily choice. Just like the sun comes up every day, you and I have a choice. Every new day, we get to start afresh. We can make a decision to allow God's light to shine through us. We can make that a prayer every morning when we get up. Lord, just as you have brought forth the sun today and it's shining across this planet, I want your light to shine through me. Make that your prayer every day. And here's the great thing. Just like the sun comes up new in the morning, yesterday may have been horrible. You may have messed up so bad, but you can shine today. Maybe today you're struggling. You can shine later today and you can shine tomorrow. It's a choice. Secondly, we not only have to choose to shine, but we need to make a daily stand for his truth. We need to examine the information, examine our own thoughts, and see whether it's true. If we're looking for the will of God or we're simply reacting to the information around us, wherever it's coming from, we need to discern that and say, Lord, show me your will, your heart, your truth. And thirdly, We need to make a daily investment for eternity. A great question to ask is, what did I do today that lasts? Did I invest in the lives of others? Did I encourage someone? Did I speak words that God was prompting my heart to speak? Did I serve someone else in need? Did I do something today that lasts for eternity? That's walking as children of light That's being, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. So it gives light to all the house. So in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here are three things that we do, three things we choose to shine. Number one, we choose to walk purely. Lord, show me those shadows in my life that I need to surrender to you. Secondly, we choose to worship passionately. Thanksgiving should always overflow into praise and worship of the Lord. And thirdly, we should work purposefully. Choosing to place our love into action, our love for God must be reflected in our love for others we will see change in the world when our lives match the scriptures and our mouths speak the truth in love personally to others. I want to end with a story that has um, had a huge impact on me for many, many years. And it's a story that uh, some of you will be very familiar of. It's a story of Jim Elliott and four other missionaries, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Roger yoderian and Ed McCulley. These five men... And their wives took the light of Jesus Christ to one of the most dangerous people groups in the entire world. They went to the, the Auka Indians in the Amazon basin of Ecuador. Um, the Hurani was their name for themselves. Auka is not actually a very complimentary word. So we'll call them the Hurani because that's their name for themselves. And as a tribe, they, they had a way um, The way that they dealt with justice was was murder. The way that they dealt with offense was to kill others, especially of another tribe. And that's how they responded in their fear. But these men had a great conviction that God wanted to reach out to the Harani and show them his love. And so they began to pray and devise a plan to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And they had an airplane, this, uh, there's a model of this, this airplane that they use later to, to teach and show the people, and that airplane would fly above this isolated group of, of people, and it, they would lower a bucket, and it would give gifts down to them that they could take out of the bucket and then receive and after time, they believed that they had established enough trust that they decided it was time to land the plane on a sandbar there in the Amazon and to be able to, to interact face-to-face with the Harani. But one of the Harani had been speaking stories about, about them out of fear, out of fear of something in his own life, something that happened, afraid he was going to lose face, um, he, just, he began telling lies about these people in this strange plane that they were demonic. They were evil spirits. And so what happened was when they landed the plane and after they had begun conversations, things broke down and they were attacked and they were killed. All five of them were killed there on that sandbar. But something miraculously happened. God sent the wives, Elizabeth, Elliot, her young child the saints they went back Nate Saints family they went back and began to share the truth of Christ and it came to the point when almost the whole tribe trusted Jesus in fact one of Elizabeth excuse me one of Nate Saints children was baptized by the very man who killed his father with a spear after he came to faith in Christ. Now, that story is powerful, but what moves me far more than the story is the journals of Jim Elliot. What he was writing long before this happened speaks deep into my heart. He wrote a number of different things, and, and there's some really incredible sayings that he said that are powerfully true. One of the things that he said in his journal is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was the attitude he had about his own life. He realized, my life doesn't belong to me. I can't keep it. I will give it to the Lord to use in whatever way he wants. And he realized that in doing that, he had a fullness of life one of the the things that he wrote in his journal, he was reflecting on a passage of Scripture both in Hebrews and in Psalms that talks about um, this this verse. It says, The Lord makes His angels' winds and His messengers, or ministers, a flaming fire. And those words began to, to weigh on Jim Elliot's heart. And he wrote in his journal, Am I ignitable? Or is... The dross of my life, am I I so wet with the things of the world that I can't burn? And his prayer was, would you light me on fire to burn for you, Lord? Make me a flame for your glory, to shine forth who you are. Now, he didn't know that someday he would give his life and that it would burn in a a way that was unique. What his desire was, was that God would allow his love to so shine through him, to allow his life to become fuel upon which the glory and love of Christ burned, that others would see it and it would penetrate the darkness. That was his prayer. And that is the prayer the Lord keeps over and over challenging me to pray. Sometimes, unwillingly, because I wrestle with my own flesh and selfishness, but again and again, I come back to, Lord, would you make my life fuel upon which Jesus' glory, upon which Jesus' love burns? I believe that desire, when that becomes what is in our hearts, God will use that to open up and do amazing things in each and every one of us. Because here's the thing, each and every one of you are designed to take the light of Christ's love, truth, and grace and to shine it into the darkness. But we have a choice. We can turn all of his goodness onto ourselves or we can choose to say, Lord, would you make me a flame that burns for you? Your word says you make your ministers, that means servants, that means all of us, a flaming fire. Can I challenge you to pray that? It's a bold prayer. It's a huge prayer. But it's a prayer that I believe brings incredible pleasure to God. And he will surprise you if you're willing to pray it. Dear Heavenly Father, we want our lives to reflect you. We want our lives to be fruitful. We want others to see your goodness. Lord, you have shown us who you are, you've shown us the brightness of your love through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give us the courage? to allow you to ignite us with your presence, to desire for you to ignite us, to make us a flame that burns for your glory, to show your greatness so that others see you and not ourselves. Lord, that is our prayer this day. As a people of God, as a church, would you enable us To burn for you in a way that others see your love, see your goodness, and are drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand with us. We're going to do a new song. And um, it's called Burn For You. And it's, it's a little rocky, so I like it. (laughs) 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 All right.